Test one, two. Sega. messing with my head well i'm not sure what to tell you and for depending on how we edit this if we do edit this part out um we will for the people that are wondering what's going on is that we have taken a few episodes uh away from having video incorporated because we're having some issues with uh just the quality of everything and so now with the platform that we're using they've kind of said hey let's do video so we'll see how this works and that means i get to look at the mugs of both Mike and Grouchy. So I guess we should go ahead and talk about who we are in case you guys don't know. I mean, that's why you're here. We are the Backlog Busters. Backlog Busters of five. We're down to three tonight. We just wish the other two happy trails. No, that means that they are going away. That's not what we mean. So the chuckle you just heard is from none other than Grouchy Surge out there in sunny Las Vegas. How are you doing, sir? Well, it's eight o'clock at night, and I understand that you don't know how the sun works, but at eight o'clock at night, the sun is down, so it's no longer sunny. It's actually dark. The weather gets a little bit cooler, but that's okay. You're a math man, not a weather forecaster. I am doing okay, amazing, great. I don't know. I'm still... I'm still doing well. I've got a family. I haven't uh, murdered anybody and gone on a killing spree, spree with this whole homeschooling thing. Um, so yeah. that's a plus. Yeah. And now we're back in school two days a week, which is a little weird. And then in a month, we'll, the kindergartner will be five days a week. The high schooler will be two days a week. But the high schooler, he has to go to school for two classes and then get on a bus and come home and then attend a third class because the kids aren't allowed to pass each other in the hallways more than once a day. So they can't pass each other in the hallway to do the third class on campus. So they have to sit in a bus together and ride home, then get on the computer and do their last class. So I'm really confused and concerned. I can't walk past somebody in the hallway, but I can sit on a bus with them. Not sure how that. It sounds like uh, your son's school is glitching. Uh, it sounds like maybe they hired CD Projekt Red to manage things. I'm not entirely sure about that. Speaking of hiring CD Projekt Red to manage things, I hear they took over your state and accidentally remove all the masks and uh, all the mandates. And they just said, look, there's no bugs. Get back out there. Act like nothing happened. So I appreciate that transition unintentionally. You know, yeah, so I will save that for a little bit of post-show content that we'll probably just keep to ourselves. Um, but we have another fantastic backlogger joining us from the great state of the Midwest, where everything hinges, Iowa, Mr. Blaze Knight. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing good, doing good. Um, in the process of a deep, uh, deep thaw, actually. We, we got up into the 40s today. I know. Nice and toasty. Got to go outside in my T-shirt. That, that was great. 
And then uh, we're supposed to get all the way up to 60 this weekend, which is going to be phenomenal. I can walk the dog. That'll be great. Uh, I want to point out that you can walk the dog in 50 and 40 degree weather as well. Mm, I could, or I could not walk in snow and slip on the ice and all that good stuff. You need cleats. I'm just going to throw this. I'm going to throw this out there. Um, I agree with Grouchy. You can walk your dog in 40 and 50 degree weather. You can even walk your dog when it's 20 degrees outside. Like I did. Because I'm crazy. Or, At least you acknowledge it. Or you're just a really devout dog lover, and you know that they need to get their legs moving or they're not going to let you sleep at night. Oh, I love my dog for the most part. She's, a, most she's part. really good. Yeah, I mean, considering that, you know, she has been out and free for a whole year there hasn't been we haven't had to use a crate or anything because we've been home so she loves it you know she sleeps in our bed and yep no she she's having a really good time of it but yeah we go out on our walks every day gotta take care of my dog so Um, speaking of dog walking yep it's the beginning of march and uh i haven't looked at everything but you and i hit a thousand miles for the year so a uh, little bit over two months, which means uh, we'll be closing in on that team 2021 miles. Um, I have to pull up the spreadsheet and see where a uh, red eye cotton eyed Joe J is. But I feel good. The fact that you and I already, you know, basically halfway our goal. And then uh, once we hit that, we can start bragging about our individual accomplishments as we're out there walking our dogs, no matter what the weather is. Being good pet owners. Yeah. So Look, you you guys live where <laughs> it is warm year round. You have you have one season. It's summer, okay? I get four. All the seasons. They all exist here. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't you hear? Hell froze over. Texas was a sheet of ice for like a week. He has two seasons. Untolerably hot, and what the hell just happened? <laughs> Yeah, but that Which second season only happens me. once every, what, 40 years? Oh, and he's lived through it twice. No, we, we go through this through this phase of, you know, some crazy bit of weather happens. We spend, you know, years recovering from it. But while we're recovering from it, you know, another major bit of weather happens, whether it's a flood or a hurricane. And then as you're recovering from that, I mean, it's just, it's this endless cycle here. Um, so far, things have been uh, okay. And when we had the, the horrible weather, you know, my in-laws' power went out, just like ours did, but they lost water. We didn't. So they came and they stayed with us for a week. So anyway, uh, we have... This is not a yeah, uh, like this. weather podcast. This is a podcast no, about I know. video games. So let's talk no, about my you can, shirt. You can edit. Yeah. I love the uh, Super Mario periodic table. Not only is it a video game shirt, but it's a geeky math shirt because periodic table has to be 100% math, right? Give or take. Okay. It's a school thing. I don't know. I failed out. Uh, well, I tried. No, you're good. We're all good. So we have, uh, I guess, a bit of an interesting show today. You know how the backlog busters work. We talk about the games we've been playing. We talk about the games we're going to play. And then somewhere in the middle, we just 
lose sense of all reality and we do something crazy. Uh, whether it is figuring out what we would take on a $300 budget on a stranded, on a deserted island, which all of a sudden the rules changed and it wasn't so deserted, according to the game master. Or we were talking about, you know, what E3 was going to be like in a couple of years. So we've got a special topic for you today. Um, but before we get into all of that, just want to, you know, pause for a few moments. Um, you know, as we record this, it's, you know, just a week ago, uh, we lost a great podcaster in the community, Bobby Pauls, after a very long battle with COVID, like three or four months battle with COVID. Um, kind of thought that he was on the mend and things were going to get better, uh, but turned out not to be the case. Um, so, yeah, I never, never met Bobby. I never spoke with him, but just knowing and seeing all the stuff that he did in the community uh, with podcasters, with, uh, with Twitch, uh, you know, especially Animal Crossing. Um, he had uh, quite a bit of influence and he was well-loved and he'll be greatly missed. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would just like, I-, I talk to him occasionally. We would chat every once in a while about either Kirby or pineapple on pizza. Uh, he would, repeatedly tell me how stupid I was and that I shouldn't be worshiping these false idols. And, you know, it's about animal crossing and Mario, not Kirby, but he, he's a huge reason that this community exists. I mean, like the podcasting groups that exist, the Sean Capri, you know, just like that whole lineage, you know, and and it, it's it's amazing what he accomplished and what he was accomplishing, and it's very sad that you know he doesn't get to follow through on that, and none of it comes to fruition. But um, you know, he was he was a really good guy. He was a really kind guy. And if anybody ever asked him for something, he didn't question it. He he was willing to help. He was willing to give stuff away. He was willing to jump on anybody's podcast. You know, I know when I invited him to the Backlog Busters, it was just as much as like, hey, you know, Jeremy and I want to have you on sometime. And he like was just like, name the time and the place and I'm there. You know, he didn't question it. He didn't like, I told him it was an E3 episode and he came woefully unprepared. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, he he had fun with it. He played the straight man to Turkey's Crazy Guy. And it was, it was just one of those things where, you know, when you reach out to somebody who has like this, this bigger reach, this bigger audience, you know, a lot of the times you, you get nothing back or you don't hear from them or there's conditions like, okay, well, we can talk about this, but we can't talk about that. And nothing like that ever came up with him. It was all just, yeah, let me know when I can be on. I would love to be on. That would be great. And that was, that was it. And we scheduled a date and he showed up and I'm fairly certain that he thought we were crazy and punishing him for something he had done wrong in a past life. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's going to be missed. And, you know, I, I love the, the outpouring of similar sentiments over the past week. Yeah, it was definitely something to see how the community rallied around him when, we realized he was sick and 
the the Nintendo dads, Sean Capri and the Mega Dads and so many people in this community, they all came together and they were able to raise over twenty thousand dollars to help with his hospital bills from everything that he's been going through. And it's one of those things where, you know, being somebody watching from the sidelines who, who didn't know him really well, you know, I was still pulling for him, hoping that, you know, with the help that we were able to give, that he would be you know, back soon and, you know, talking about all things Nintendo and continuing to be this great person that he, he was. And it's just really unfortunate that despite everything, you know, COVID still COVID and uh, wear your masks, people. Yep. Very, very true. I mean, I think this is one of those very clear examples of, you know, a person leaving a legacy and the legacy that he leaves is the kind I think we would all aspire to um, where people only have good things to say about you and your fingerprints can be seen in so many different places. So Mr. Bobby, All right. So, um, what has been going on for you guys? I know we've talked about all different kinds of things so far. Um, and we are going to talk about the games we've been playing. Uh, there was one thing I wanted to talk to you guys about that happened to me since the last time we met and I performed surgery on my Nintendo switch and the joy cons. Uh, my, original day one Nintendo switch. So I guess it's now hit its four year anniversary. The cooling fan wasn't working the way that it was supposed to. It was very loud, very noisy to the point where it was overwhelming. Just whatever you were playing on it, even if you had it docked and it was, you know, away from you, you could just still hear the hum going on. So I bought a cooling fan and I held on to it for about a month because I just wasn't comfortable about breaking open my switch. But I sucked it up and I did. And uh, seems to have worked. Um, if you guys saw any of the stuff that I put on Twitter, I was very confident that it had worked. And then when I started playing it, uh, I was playing it at night. I was playing Trials of Mana for a little bit and it would play for about five or 10 minutes. And then the switch would just shut off. And I would power it back on, uh, try playing for a little bit more. And again, another five or 10 minutes would go by and the switch would just shut off. And I think what was happening is that I had not, I had not installed something back the way it was supposed to. So I don't think the fan was actually turning on and cooling like it was supposed to. So my assumption was that it was just overheating and the system was just shutting down. It really sucked because I spent the whole night not being able to sleep, thinking about, you know, what do I do to fix this? How can I fix this? How do I need to get another fan? What do I need to do? So the first thing I did when I woke up the next morning was to come back in here to the office, break the switch open again, and try to fix it. And it uh, seems to work. And then I went about replacing uh, the thumbsticks and the Joy-Cons that I have. I think I might have actually messed up one of the... Um, uh, one of the thumbsticks with the little ribbon that you use to, to connect it. I think I was trying to 
trying a little bit too hard and messed it up. So that one's kind of trash, but uh, four of them are working and they don't have drift issues. I'm having a bit of an issue with the, with the connectivity to the switch unit itself. And I haven't tried it on the, so I've got two switch units. I haven't tried it on the newer one, but when I try to connect them, the system recognizes it and it does that little image on the screen that you've connected them and I can play in handheld mode for a little bit, but then it tries to disconnect one or both of them. All of a sudden it brings up the screens and, you know, press the L and R buttons um, so that it knows what joy cons you're using. So I don't know if that's just a mistake that I made with replacing the thumbsticks or if I messed up something in the internals of the switch unit itself. I needed a little bit more research on that, but I will say that the drift issue is gone. And once I did the first one, the rest of them were, were pretty simple. It was just the same stuff over and over again. Uh, just make sure that you have the right tools. I had a set of, yeah, I've got a set of, uh, bits to use for just that sort of purpose, but the tri-wing tip that I was supposed to use was just one size too big. But fortunately, one of the uh, sets of thumbsticks that I bought came with the right sized uh, screwdrivers for that. So that that saved me a bit of a headache because if you're not if you're if you're not using the right sized head for that screwdriver, you're gonna you gotta strip the the heads of the screws and it's you're going to have just a piece of trash. So let me interject here for yeah, just a second. Like and I, I don't know if, uh, if this is going to make you feel any better or not. But, um, when I was playing, um, a rhythm and fitness boxing, um, I was having that issue where after a while of playing the, uh, the joy cons would just disconnect and I'd have to reconnect them, um, that you seem to be describing. So it might be a more universal thing than a, a personal repair issue. So I don't know if that makes you feel any better, but it is something that I've experienced as well. Well, it maybe makes me feel a little bit better. I know that, you know, when you're just playing with them, you know, not connected to the system at all. Cause I was doing this um, a couple of weekends ago. I just had it, you know, tabletop mode and I just had one joy con in each hand. I played for 30 minutes and I didn't have a single issue with it. That's once they were connected, we were having an issue, uh, but you know, they needed to be fixed because they like all of them were drifting so badly, not just the left, but the right ones as well. Um, but again, the fix was, I think each thumbstick was maybe like $6 on Amazon and it was a pretty quick fix once you knew what you were doing and, you know, step-by-step instructions I found on the internet. And it was something that my son, like he wanted so that he could play some of these other games. So some games that required joy cons and you have to have joy cons you couldn't play. So trying to play Mario party, you know, you can't do those best of joy cons or um, clubhouse games. Some of the games you can play with a pro controller or, you know, wired controller, but others require the, you know, separated joy cons. So he was happy to have that. And I was glad to, I don't know, do something to, you know, channel my inner Patrick of tearing something down and, you know, put it back together and it still works. I don't know. To me, it just sounds like it's time for an upgrade. 
need that new Nintendo Super Switch 2.0. It's it's called a switcheroo. Mm, like a kangaroo with less arms. Well, it's so that it sounds like the Switch, but we add just enough to it to confuse the general population so they don't know what it really is. Like going from the Wii to the Wii U or adding a new or an XL at the end of things. Right, because the Roo is like a lowercase r but a big U to give it that Wii U well, impersonation. Switch a Roo. Right, and you don't have like the E in between the Switch and the R, so it's so it's cool. And then it's hip. Yeah. The tip to exactly be square. Right. I do remember that. Uh, yes, it is, Huey Lewis. Yeah. It is hip to be square. That is the news. Here, there, and everywhere. All right, so should we get into what our main topic is, what everybody has been waiting for? What's the main topic? Okay, so you, you missed this because, you know, we sent you 15 emails, a few carrier pigeons, and some telegraphs. So what we're doing is, this is March. March is a mad time. And especially for someone in Vegas, you should know this. Betting capital of the world, it's March Madness. Now, we're not going to be talking about basketball because we play video games. And we all know that there is no basketball in video games, right? Uh, He's on fire. Yeah, sure. Uh, Whatever that means, dude. Yo, man. (laughs) All right. So we have two different brackets going on. And you can kind of thinking think about this as the ncaa tournament and then you've got the nit so like some people really care about the nit because their team barely made it in so they still have a chance to do something but you know it's not the real tournament so here's what we've got going on i asked all of the backloggers to come up with a list or a ranking for classic or retro consoles that have not come out as a mini console yet but that they would like to see revived in that kind of form. And I took all these rankings and I used them to create an eight team bracket. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through the bracket. We're going to talk about the matchups. We're going to talk about how did they get there? Okay. So we're going to do this for both the consoles we really wanted. And then we have this extra special NIT tournament of consoles that really have no business being revived. But here at the Backlog Busters, we, we don't see age. We see beyond that. We look into our hearts. All right. So, hope you guys are ready. You've got your talking points, right? It's March Madness. All right, so we're going to go ahead and start with the number one seed, okay? So the number one and number eight matchup is going to be the number one team, the Game Boy Advance, going up against the number eight seed, Sega Saturn. So how did we end up here, guys? How did the Game Boy Advance end up as the top or at the top spot, being the the, the favorite to win it all? Well... Uh, the Game Boy Advance obviously ended up on top because it was made by Nintendo. 
And then because True. we felt pity, we allowed a Sega system to make it. Like we know Sega isn't going to beat Nintendo, but at the same time, you got to give them that participation trophy. Like, hey, thanks for coming out. Now go take a seat while the big boys play. Give a little pat on the head. Thank you for bringing Sonic. Yeah, here you go. Here's your banana. While Nintendo's going to have some potato chips, something that's a little bit more fun at halftime. (laughs) Oh, I guess before we really get too far into it, we should also tell the listeners that we are not the ones who will determine who wins these matchups. We're going to put these out as polls on Twitter, so you can follow us at backlog underscore busters and have your say as to who wins. Will there be a major upset? And it better not be the Sega Saturn. It better not be. Because we will find your IP address. Even if you use a VPN, we're going to find you. Hey guys. Although I wasn't able to make it to this month's podcast, my ears were burning when the Saturn was mentioned. Doubly so when there wasn't any fanfare for this underappreciated 32-bit console. Now... I may be a bit biased since the 32-bit era is one of my favorites, and yes, I know that janky, early polygonal graphics haven't aged well, but there's charm in their wonkiness. Anyways, I just want you all to know that I stand firmly with the Saturn. Despite not being very successful in North America, this precious console that appeared just before Sega's last days in the console wars had a plethora of wonderful games and this would be the perfect opportunity for would-be fans to finally get a chance to experience them. Games like Astral or Clockwork Knight are fun and unique platformers that never seen the light of day outside of the Saturn. Or Saturn Bomberman, THE Bomberman that's considered the best of the franchise. And let's not forget the coveted beat-em-up Guardian Heroes or the sci-fi adventure meets firefighting frenzy Burning Rangers. Oh, and of course, the showstopper Panzer Dragoon Saga, which if you feel like spending an arm and a leg, will oblige you wholeheartedly. But the real benefit, I think, would be gaining access to many of the games that never made it outside of Japan. Just thinking about having a tiny little console that allowed me to play all these games gets me excited, especially since I would potentially save hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, to not have to scour eBay for the original physical discs. Now that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So the Game Boy Advance, you, you put that on the top, you, you say it's because it's Nintendo. Mike, why do you think it's on top? How did it get there? I think it got there because a Game Boy Advance is essentially a, a handheld Super Nintendo, and the, the best mini console that has been released to date bar none is the super nintendo and with it being essentially a handheld super nintendo it's clearly the favorite and not to mention the the great library of games available on the game boy advance so what are some of the standout games uh who who are the who are those those all-star players on this game boy advance team well, uh, right out of the gate, you've got, what'd you say? I think Mike's on a 10 minute. Serge, what'd you say? I said Pokey and Mon. 
Well, yes, obviously. And there's, what, five great Pokemon titles right off the bat? Uh, you got Pokemon uh, Ruby and Sapphire, then Emerald. I mean, you've got the Gen 1 remakes, uh, Fire Red and Leaf Green, all fantastic. I do believe uh, there's a Legend of Zelda game. I, I think it's, uh, is it Minish Cap? I think it might be the Minish Cap. Uh, the one that was made by Capcom. Is that right? I could be wrong. That, I think that sounds right. I'm not sure I know that Capcom did do the Oracle of Ages and Seasons on the Game Boy Color, but we'll get to that later. Um, as far as, let's see what else. There's uh, Ninja Five O. I don't know. Have you guys heard of Ninja Five O? The game is awesome. If you haven't played it, you should, uh, should look into it. There's also the uh, Advance Wars uh, series. It was the birth of uh, Fire Emblem here in, in the West. Uh, just lots of great RPGs. Um, I don't know about the action stuff. You'll have to ask somebody else. But uh, gotcha. you what got any saying? games in this category, Surge, beyond Pokemon? Well, there was uh, a remake of pretty much every Mario game that existed. They had the Marios, the Yoshi's Island. Uh, they- okay, okay, but... Hey, but hey, I hey, mean, no, no, don't, don't me, no, 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 no. You really shouldn't include remakes. Why not? That's not, that's that's not the in the spirit of of the competition here. We should include. Well, I guess I did mention. Well, but that's different. Did you mention different. Pokemon remakes? Okay, you're in a timeout, Grouchy. You can keep okay. going. Uh, there was also three really amazing Castlevania games that was put out on the uh, Game Boy Advance. Um, you had a number of Mega Man games put out on the Game Boy Advance. There was a brilliant title called Demi Kids. There was a light and a dark, which was Atlas's take on having a child-friendly SMT game almost, where uh, you s- still collected demons and fused them and summoned them and all that stuff. But it was it was more kid-friendly and whatnot, and that was fun. But well, I think we also had um, the there were two Metroid games, Metroid. Zero Mission and Metroid Fusion. Uh, there was a Kingdom Hearts game in there as well. There... The only thing I can say is that if they were to try to issue this Game Boy Advance, um, they would have to do something about the form factor. I just remember playing uh, F-Zero on it and trying to use the shoulder buttons. I, like my, I guess my hands were just too large for that tiny system. And so I, my fingers were just cramping trying to get to the shoulder buttons. We've talked about this number one seed, Game Boy Advance. What about the Sega Saturn? Uh, I mean, it had games, I think, right? Well, the Sat, like, what was the Saturn? Was that like before the Uranus, after the Dreamcast, like the Genesis, well, the well, Master I, I System? I think they came up with the name because it's a combination of Sad and Urn. Mm. Yeah. Am I out of timeout yet? Okay, fine. You have something for Sega Saturn. I'm sure you voted for this, which is why I made it. <laughs> okay, so the Sega Saturn, uh, well, not having the same standout library as the Game Boy Advance, did have some names that you will probably recognize that come up still today. Um, the Knights into Dreams, the little flying jester-looking guy. Remember that? Okay. That, that was a game that happened. Uh, and then it has uh, the Panzer Dragoon Saga. Uh, those are pretty popular and just had a remake, uh, came to the Switch. Uh, it has a Shining Force. Shining Force is always good. 
There's a game called Sonic Jam. I have no idea what that is, but it exists. It, it got uh, Sonic 3D Blast, which is not a good game, but it's there. It could be played. It had well, a Bomberman. That's how, you, that's how you really sell the, the system. It's got this I, game. It's not a good game, but we've got to put it there anyway. It had Police Knots. Now, if if Patrick were here, he, he would understand. It has Police Knots. Um. So I would like to point out that doing a Google search has completely blown my mind. And I'm going <laughs> to assume that a lot of this has to be shovelware. But the Sega Saturn, there are 1,047 games that released for it. I'm not sure how that happens. Most of them have names like Albert Odyssey, obviously related to Patrick. Um, and how many of these games were released only to Japanese audiences? Uh, probably most of them. There was one called Another Memories. Nobody remembers that game. Uh, Area 51. Hold on. There's got to be something a, in here I recognize, game. right? Oh, Bases Loaded 96. There we go. Sports fans all over that. Um, Black Dawn, Black Fire, Black Mace... Matrix, blam! Blast Chamber, Blazing Dragons. Let me scroll down to a different letter here. Uh, How about House of the Dead, Street Fighter 3 Alpha, Mega Man 8. Or, oh, Gex. There we go. We have our first hit, Golden Axe. Okay, so. Golden Axe. If anybody Isn't votes, that just a remake of a Genesis game, so it shouldn't count? If anybody votes for the Saturn. Uh, you're no longer allowed to listen to our podcast. I, I do apologize, <laughs> Mike. That means you can't listen. So Game Boy Advance is winning round one. Let's Bye just guys. move on to a different It's been bracket. real. All right. Now that we got okay. him out of here. Well, on the on the other side of that bracket, um, the winner of that would go up against the winner of the 4-5 matchup between the number four seed, the Sega Dreamcast and the number five five seed Game Boy slash Game Boy Color. Now, guys, the Dreamcast above Game Boy Game Boy Color. Uh, although this is a four or five matchup, so this could definitely go um, either way. There's there's no clear favorite here, or is there? To me- I know for me, the Dreamcast. There's one game that instantly comes to my mind when I think about Dreamcast. Shenmue, and that is. I was saying crazy taxi. Okay. So here's the thing. Uh, obviously we're going to have a lot of Nintendo in this and you know, the game boy, game boy color, whatever. I didn't play handhelds back then. The, the DS, three DS, whatever. That was really where I broke into the market, but the dreamcast, I, I was alive during the dreamcast heyday. And all the Sega kids were like, man, this console is so powerful. It's so much better than like the PS2 and the GameCube. And and uh, we have uh, Mr. Driller and uh, Crazy Taxi. And there's like this, this 2K game that's so much better than Madden. And, you know, other than that, people were kind of like, what, what? Like they had Marvel vs. Capcom and Marvel vs. Capcom 2, but everybody else had that as well. And in the Dreamcast, it was kind of like 
it, it was the it was the kid who wants to be cool and he tries real hard. So he buys the cool shoes and he buys like the basketball trunks and he has extra basketballs, you know, in case people show up to play and they forgot their ball. And he's like, yo, yo, guys, guys, I got a ball, too. And but it's like the Dreamcast just tried too hard to be cool and nobody cared about the Dreamcast until they stopped making the Dreamcast. And they said, you know what? We're out. We obviously are very bad at making consoles and we're just going to focus on games. And then once people did that, everybody was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we we can hack the Dreamcast and we can download all their games for free and just burn them on CD-ROMs and play them. Well, I remember playing Crazy Taxi at a, I guess it was a KB Toys back in the day, just like a little demo, uh, you know, demo station. And uh, the controller was it definitely felt weird, felt different. But in hindsight, I think I liked that. Just the feel of the shoulder buttons. Um, it just seemed very smooth compared to a lot of the other, um, I guess a lot of the other video games that were out there at the time, or other video game systems that were out there at the time. I think you're getting on the Dreamcast was once people started figure, figuring out how to make decent 3D games, at least better than what it was at the very beginning when you had the PS1 and um, uh, Nintendo 64. So I'm looking at the list here and some other games that jump out to me, and this is one of the ones I was thinking about was Jet Set Radio. You got Soul Calibur. And of course, you know, you mentioned Shenmue, Fantasy Store Online. And so there are, you know, a lot of games that people have very fond memories of. Um, but it just, just didn't catch on. So maybe this would be a way to kind of relive some things and um, maybe people could enjoy some more Dreamcast games. I, I mean, we, we can't talk about a Sega console and not mention the Sonic Adventure games. One and two are both there. Um, they had um, Resident Evil Code Veronica before anybody else did. Uh, and Power Stone is a really popular game that I've never played. Uh, there's also House of the Dead 2, which is just silly fun. Oh, Typing of the Dead. Don't forget yep. about that keyboard attachment. Um, it also, I believe, was the first console to really try to push online i mean it had a web browser right. cd that i own yeah i think that's you know you had the fantasy store online didn't i think it had a modem built into it it did so fantasy store online you know, came out for the dreamcast but also came out on the gamecube but if you're going to do anything online with a gamecube you had to buy that extra modem attachment that fit into that slot underneath and i don't know that people really got into that Oh, we can't really forget the fact that, I mean, not that it was just on uh, Dreamcast, but you got Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and um, and the, those two K the two K series. That was some good stuff back in the day. I mean, I obviously would vote for the Dreamcast over the Game Boy Color, but that's probably because I own one. Well, well, I think one of the things to consider, you know, what I thought about for you know if they ever did a mini version uh, like they've done for the NES classic or the Genesis turbo graphics. If you did something like that for the game Boy, game boy color, you need to have a way to, I think, connect it to, you know, a modern day TV um, to get the most out of that. Cause I don't know that people are going to be wanting to carry around, you know, a portable system 
and have to worry about batteries or charging it. But you know, I, I could be wrong. You're you're coming at that in completely wrong way. If they're gonna do a, a Game Boy, um, like remake thing, it doesn't need to even be a console. This needs to be an app for your phone. You can very easily make it touch uh, touch controls for a Game Boy game. Top half is the screen, the bottom half is the controls. It, it actually works really well. Uh, I've, I've seen games that do that. I think I just threw up a little bit of my mouth. Touch 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 controls. You and look if what? if you you can sell an, uh, a plug in adapter that plugs into the the USB C bottom of your phone, and, and then like has buttons on the side if it makes you feel better. And that can be how you do it. But everybody already has a phone. It, it's there's clearly the way to go with a, a Game Boy uh, mini version. Yeah, it'd be a really tough sell to try to take something that's a portable and make it you know, mini console. Unless you did, but and, you know, going through like a, an app, I, I don't know. I think that's where you, I don't know. But I mean, the, you know, the Game Boy and Game Boy Color had so many different games on there. But how well would all of those hold up? I guess we'll have to see once they both hit the hardwood. All right, uh, let's talk about a number two and number seven matchup. We, we have... didn't even mention any Game Boy games, though. Like uh, everybody knows. Okay, Pokemon. There you go. Uh, okay, no. but there's there's Link's Awakening. That's the origin of Shantae. It had Resident Evil Gaiden, which I, is a totally different type of Resident Evil uh, than what you see on on consoles. Uh, we at least have to name a couple of games for it. We can't just hand it over to the Dreamcast, right? All right. Zelda, Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons, two-pack. Um, you've got Super Mario Land 1 and 2. 1 is it's kind of an oddity. 2 is plays much more like a traditional Mario game. Um, you do have your Metroid 2, Samus Returns. Or is that the Return of Samus? You had the Oracle games, which you mentioned earlier. Yeah. All right. Satisfied. Okay. I mean, I'm thinking about these, you know, the Game Boy games that I owned back in the day before I foolishly sold all of that to get a Sega Game Gear. Um, uh, yeah, and you got, plenty, like you said, plenty of good Game Boy Color games out there as well. All right, so the number two, number seven matchup coming in at number two is the Nintendo GameCube. A lot of love for Nintendo on this, you know, this bracket. And number seven is Mike's personal favorite, I think, the Sega CD. Are we, we're skipping uh, three and six? Oh, we'll get to those guys. We're going to do the number two. I mean. Okay. Yeah. We'll, get back, we'll get back to it. Never you fear. Hey guys, it's me, Trash Turkey here, just popping into the episode. I haven't heard what the other guys have said about the mini console March Madness, but I wanted to put in my two cents, and um, I've got a special guest here. Uh, special guest, introduce yourself. It's me, Trash Turkey Baby! The Diaper Dandy Baby! I've got all your mini consoles! Swoosh! Baby! Okay, you, you need to calm down, dude. Um, well, just to tell you guys, you know, I don't have a lot to say about the mini consoles other than I think 
the one I see coming out on top is obviously the Nintendo GameCube. If I could get a Nintendo GameCube Mini, uh, I would be super hyped about that. Uh, I didn't get a GameCube growing up. I was in college and um, I wanted to watch The Matrix on a DVD, so I went with the PS2. I think also it being a purple console with a handle, I just thought maybe I was a little too grown up for that. Um, I regret that, you know? Everybody needs a purple console with a handle in their life, and uh, if I could have a mini purple console with a handle in my life, I think I would uh, be pretty happy. Uh, and to say that, it would be full of tons of great games. Uh, I wrote a list down, I won't read through all of them, of some of the games that I missed out on on the GameCube era that I would love to, to revisit. Um, some of those include all of the Mario sports titles, including soccer, golf, tennis, baseball, uh, Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, the Mario Kart Double Dash series, um, Wario World, Kirby Air Ride, F-Zero GX, Pikmin 2, Star Fox Adventure and Assault, uh, Chibi Robo, and uh, the Metroid Prime games. Um, also some great third-party entries in this on the system. Uh, Battalion Wars, Tales of Symphonia, I'd like to try. Uh, Beyond Good and Evil, and uh, obviously, Beautiful Joe. So, uh, also there's a random title I saw called Ultimate Muscle. It's like a uh, anime wrestling game that looked kind of cool. Anyways, I don't know if anybody else has tried that out, but um, anyways, I think a GameCube mini would be awesome. Uh, I think it would be, as uh, Turkey T said, A DIAPER DANDY BABY! So, for me, I think I had the GameCube very, very high up on my list. Um, What was it? The GameCube versus what? A GameCube versus Sega CD. Is this Nintendo versus Sega? That's this whole bracket. Uh, for the Almost. most part, for the most part, I know for me, for the GameCube, even though they didn't have a wealth of uh, third-party titles, the stuff that Nintendo put out was pretty phenomenal. You had Metroid Prime, uh, Legend of Zelda: The Wind Waker. Um, you had some decent third-party support. You know, Capcom had a beautiful Joe. Um, oh, there's uh, a... Capcom also had a um, agreement there for a while for making exclusive Resident Evil games. And that was uh, Resident Evil Four came out on that console, right? Uh, Resident Evil and 4, Zero, Resident, Resident Evil, Evil Zero. Zero, Code Veronica. Basically, everything up through Four <laughs> had come out. In the original remake, the original. Resident Evil remake. Uh, there was the world's best Smash Brothers Melee. Uh, Mario Kart Double Dash. Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door. The original Luigi's Mansion. Eternal Darkness, which was amazing. Yep. Um, I also think the best version of uh, Mario Strikers was on the GameCube. The original Animal Crossing, where you could actually dig up old franchises. Pikmin. I mean, the GameCube had know, so um, many amazing games on it, and I think people well, just another game that it. another game that was one of uh, Donnie Reese's favorites. I'm sure would have been Mario Golf Toadstool Tour. Yes, 
Oh, and it's probably one of the last times that you had any decent uh, NCAA football games on a Nintendo console. You had uh, Monkey Ball. Monkey Ball. Yeah, that was a Sega game. Hmm. On a Nintendo console. Yeah, I think it was... How many Nintendo games are on Sega consoles? Oh, I think uh, the same as... Um, yeah, no, that's that's zero. Yeah, no, zero. Like, okay, so... I mean, we're, we're obviously not showing any favoritism, but the GameCube wins this one, right? Well, let's talk about Sega CD, because I think Mike has a few things to say about the Sega CD. Alrighty, time for a bathroom break. <laughs> There's so much disrespect today. I don't feel like I can put up with this. Well, I know that you did your research and you looked up Sega CD. Now, I'll go ahead and say that the the one game that stands out to me uh, is really the only game that I ever played growing up because I had a friend who had a Sega CD and we played Lethal Enforcers. And it was just like it was in the arcade. And I can just hear the audio clip and the back of my mind constantly saying reload well I did uh, look I did watch a video that showcased all 204 Sega CD games um, some of them were great some of them are not but one thing that the Sega CD has going for it that no other console that we've touched on even scratches the surface on is, is uh, FMV games. Oh. And yes, they're awful to look at, but also hilariously bad. Sir. Uh, the Sir. Sir. FMV was going to revolutionize video gaming. We had Night Trap. Exactly. And Sewer Shark. Yes. Which was and you obviously can even make your Shark's own brother. Well, you can make your own Music videos. You guys remember those, don't you? Music videos? No. Yeah, there was... Uh, I cannot remember what they were called. I think you can make... Oh, goodness gracious. I gotta look this up. This is incredible podcasting, right? We are incredible podcasters. We can fix it in post. It's fine. Yeah. So there were they had a series of video games called Make My Video. And one of those featured Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Uh, there was also one for NXS and Crisscross. And so the games would allow you to control the editing of music videos. So classic songs like Jump or Warm It Up from Crisscross, um, Good Vibrations with Marky Mark. Um, but yeah. What fun back in the I day. I really kind of want to go out and find this now. All right. So is there anything more to this make your own? Because that, that sounds pretty interesting. I, sh I shouldn't have said that because now you think it's better than the GameCube. But here's no, the thing. Nothing is better than the I, GameCube, sir. They, they didn't have that many videos that you could, you know, make the video of. So I think the replayability on that would be pretty low although i guess for most of those fmv games um you're talking about night trap sewer shark and, and the others 
because there's only so much that you can play through that. But they did have, um, oh, was it Popful Mail? Yes, the, that's one of the side-scrolling RPGs. Right. Um, I actually had that one as a kid. I, I remember enjoying playing that along with several other RPGs, which is uh, one of the strong suits of the Sega CD is it has a lot of RPGs that just aren't showcased in a lot of other places. Um, they just got left in obscurity on this uh, peripheral to the second-hand console of the time, which is sad, but, you know, Sega <laughs> had some issues with managing their company at the time. That we ended well, up the with the issue. Tower of Power and the, yeah, the, the, the Sega CD on the side. Sega, the big issue with Sega is that you basically had Sega of Japan and Sega of America and Sega of Japan did not have their finger on the pulse of what was needed or what was popular in the United States. They were focused on what was in Japan and they thought that that same, the same strategy would work for America. And so the, the leaders of Sega of America couldn't really get anything to, you know, to go their way when they're going up against Japan. And that's why you had that, that issue there towards the end of, um, I guess Sega's you know, existence where you go from the Sega Genesis to the Sega CD very quickly to the 32X and then the Sega Saturn. They just, there was not enough time. There was no breathing room and everything required, almost everything required like you know, a new system, a new um, piece of equipment in order to work. Yeah, I think and I think just, one of the <clears throat> the big downfalls of Sega as a console company is that they put so much stock in trying to be on the cutting edge of everything, but they were getting there too early. So a lot of the things that Sega did first, they just it, technology wasn't ready for it. You know, so these FMV games, yes, they exist and yes, they're silly, but the the quality is awful. But it's still fun to go back and look at them and see, you know, what they're all about. Um, they were the first to have, like you said, the online focus. They were the first to do um, a wireless controller. Uh, they had a lot of the firsts that are uh, modern day staples now. It's just they were too early. Well, not only were they too early, but they just they didn't have the IPs that could drive the continued success to compete against Nintendo at the time. And then it was like when it became a three-person race and Sony was in there, uh, they they didn't have what it took to be able to just continue. Whereas when Xbox came in, you know, Xbox basically came to the table and said, we're going to get our butts handed to us for a long time, but we're going to, you know, do what we can to build some sort of brand loyalty so that maybe when the next console comes out, we're not taking a loss. And, you know, they had the money to sustain them through all that. And then through the Red Ring of Death, where Sega didn't have the money to sustain them through being third because they didn't have the titles to, you know, support the system. Where Nintendo has the amazing lineup of titles and Sony had a ton of great third-party exclusives plus their own games they were putting out at the time. And speaking of Sony, let's go ahead and talk about that uh, three versus six matchup that we have. Well, well, is... well 
Before we transition, I want to read a list of Sega CD games. I know we talked a lot about the FMV stuff, but here's some other uh, really good games that are on the Sega CD. You have uh, Sonic CD, um, a Final Fight port. Uh, we, said, we mentioned Popful Mail, uh, Lunar 1 and 2. Uh, we mentioned Sewer Sharks. They had uh, the best port of Hook, uh, the best port of uh, Three Ninjas. Uh, they had Dark Wizard. Um it had an, a decent port of Mortal Kombat. It had both the Echo the Dolphin games, and it had uh, a really good platformer uh, in Mickey Mania. Right. Well, now we can is, move on. That's quite the list. Yeah, right. So we're talking about Sony. And in the 3-6 matchup, uh, coming at number three, we have uh, the Sony PlayStation 2 going up, going up against uh, the number six seed, Nintendo 64. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this one, this one seems like a slam dunk as to who should win. Right. The PlayStation 2 by a mile. Disagree. The N64 was full of trash and good wrestling games. That was it. I I just, I have to disagree. Has the greatest library of games probably ever assembled. And I get that you have to disagree. I mean, you and I are polar opposites. I'm right. You're wrong. I live in a good weather state. You live in Idaho or something that begins with an I. I don't remember. You live in a desert. Come on now. I know. I know. You shovel snow. So (laughs) I will take some dust. (laughs) And, and you deal with scorpions, okay? I've had one scorpion at my house since I moved in here. That's one too many. And I caught him and I released him because I believe in catch and release. It's a very good program. Um, hands up, don't shoot. Also another good program, but scorpions don't adhere to that. They just try to pinch you. Um, no, I just, I hated the N64 with a passion. Like, 3D Mario games were god-awful. The 3D Zelda games sucked. Uh, GoldenEye was an awful, awful piece of crap shooter that everybody loved for some reason, and I don't get it. And it was like, the only thing good on that system at all was, like, the wrestling games. Whereas the PlayStation 2 had so many loving, classic Shadow of the Colossus, Final Fantasy but games. Here's the thing, though. With with a PlayStation 2, anything that's worth playing on it, you can play on a modern-day console now. So there's zero point in having it as a mini console. Yeah, and with the N64, anything that's worth playing had to be remade into a better version because it was awful. Mario 64. Really? Mario 64. Really? Let's take a look at... Uh, let's take a look at Super Mario 64 on the Switch and, and see what they changed. It was still the, Nothing. the worst Mario game put out, Super Mario 64. I'm sorry, have you have you played Hotel Mario? Uh, no, I also haven't played Hotel Transylvania. <laughs> That's a movie, you should watch it. And also learn <laughs> the difference. <laughs> um, what about the, the Game Boy Marios? Oh, wait, you didn't have handheld consoles. But 2D Mario is still better than 3D Mario. All right, guys. Uh, do you guys, have more to this you're, argument you're, you're, than you're both, just both this pretty. is what you think? You're both pretty. Um, but no, my argument has to be what I think. And the 64, okay, but, 
I mean, come on. They had Superman 64. That by itself makes a console lose. Having one stinker on it doesn't make it, you know, the worst thing ever. Uh, I disagree. Like, when my daughter has one stinker, it's still the worst thing ever. I've got to get in there. I've got to wipe it. I've got to throw the diaper away. Like I threw the N64 you, away. You throw the baby away when there's a bad diaper? If my wife would let me get away with it, yes, I would. <laughs> you can always make more. <laughs> Ryan. I, Ryan. Before, before uh, Blaze Knight 0923 gets carried away here, you said that this was simple in your mind. Who do you think is the winner? So, as much nostalgia as I have for the Nintendo 64, after all, my wife gave me one as a wedding present. Your wedding? Um, yeah. I, I mean, she could have given married. it to you when you married somebody else. I don't know. No, I mean, so, I have a lot more experience playing games on the Nintendo 64. Um, I enjoyed Mario 64 back in the day. I tried playing it on the Switch, and it is... Not that much fun. Um, I there are certain games I do miss. I miss uh, Doctor Mario sixty four. Um, yeah, I don't know. The, the games were were okay for what they were, and even though I didn't have a lot of experience playing a PlayStation two, I know that the library and the quality of games is superior to what was on the Nintendo sixty four. Oh, can I? And yes, you, know, you you've got those memories of playing um, Smash Brothers or you know, late night sessions of playing GoldenEye with your buddies in the dorm room or, you know, whatever it was. And and there was that sense of everybody coming together and playing together and playing some of these great games. But in terms of, again, the the library, I think the PlayStation 2 is going to win out. Um, The other other thing that I can look at is, I mean, by far, like, who was the drunken fool who came up with the N64 controller. Okay, it's a hold, controller on, hold on. That, like, if you give a kid that controller, they look at you like, how am I even supposed to hold this and play a game? Whereas the PlayStation 2 had what was one of the best form factors and has continued to develop and lead into, you know, the best controllers out there. The DualShock, okay. the DualShock 2, the DualShock for the dual sense the 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 n64 controller oh uh. grouchy yo here's what i need you to do i need you to name for me a list of games on the playstation 2 that are worth playing today that you can't play on a modern day console I can come up with the same list for the N64. None of them are worth playing. So why are we having this debate then? Because the, play- true, because the PlayStation that- 2 sold 100 million copies of a console. Because it was a DVD player. And the, N- DVD player. And the N64 sold like five copies. That's yeah, Mike. That's not the point, though. Look, we spent this whole podcast talking about the quality of first-party Nintendo, and now you want to throw that all away? You can't. You can't seriously throw that all away now. Well, yeah, because they evidently took four years off. <laughs> well, Mike. let me give you a list of games worth playing that aren't available on modern-day consoles. Well, Mike, Mike, there, there's your problem right there. Is that you? You're saying that these games aren't available on modern-day consoles. 
but that's saying that even though they are, some of them are available on modern day consoles, that everybody has access to them. So some of these games that are on PlayStation 2 that could be played on maybe PS4 or PS5, I can't play those because I don't own those systems and I'm not going to drop $500 plus the money to actually be able to play those games. But if you were to package some of the top games that were available on PlayStation 2 into a nice little box for 100 bucks, you know, I might... I might have a go at it as long as they don't. As long as they're not the European versions of those games. (laughs) I want to remind you guys of the awesome success of the uh, the PlayStation One Mini and and how well that weight still sits on the shelves at Walmart. Oops. That's what that's what I'm saying. As long as they don't do make the same mistakes that they did with the PlayStation One. Look at what they uh, what Nintendo did with the Super Nintendo Mini. They realized, oh, maybe we should make the cords on the controllers a little bit longer. I mean, we should be learning from our mistakes, right? I mean, yeah, but like, there's a reason nobody wanted to get that beyond the fact that, uh, I mean, the, the quality of the gameplay was just off. Everything was slow, but beyond that, like the, the games on it, I mean, just weren't, didn't really hold up. And I think that's the same issue that you can run into on the Nintendo 64 because it's that same generation, that that first generation of 3D graphics. And so that's what we have but in this bracket is that you've got first generation 3D with the Nintendo 64 going up against the second generation with the PlayStation 2. But let me let me roll you through some games here that would make a, a worthwhile investment to pick up a Nintendo 64 Mini uh, that you can't get on your your 3ds or um anywhere else uh so you mentioned paper mario um on with the gamecube but the original paper mario is here on n64 um the uh, rpgs are notoriously good for holding up over time just because the mechanics are so simple and the visuals aren't as important uh diddy kong racing is one of the the best um racing games at the the time bar none uh i know we're getting a new pokemon snap but it's not out yet and that would still be a fun thing to play uh, the original well not, let's not go with the original mario party 2 would be fun uh and different than the mario parties we have now because you you know you're not just riding in a car you've got uh wave race 64 which is a good time i don't care who you are uh kirby 64 had the power fusion ability that was really fun uh, Yoshi's Story exists, and that, that was a decent game. They had the origin of Mario Golf and Mario Tennis, which would be really fun to contrast to the new Mario Golf game that's coming out and the Mario Tennis Aces that we just had. Um, Star Wars Shadows of the Empire was a good time. Um, not, not, not the greatest game ever, but it was a, a good time. Um, Pokemon Stadium games, I don't remember if I mentioned that. Pilot Wing 64 uh, was a really fun game uh, and upon release uh, the mystical ninja um, Goemon was a, another fun game and my favorite uh, ogre battle 64 uh, you have snowboard kids bomberman 64 cruising USA all great games that would be perfectly at home on a mini console for the N64 now can you give me a comparable list for PlayStation 2 of games that aren't currently available whether or not you 
you can afford to play them, but that aren't currently available now the, in some way. The answer to that is no, because the games were so good, they were remade for modern consoles because they know they would sell on the new consoles. Whereas the games you listed off, other than maybe Ogre Battle, like people aren't going to go hog wild over them. I would much rather have the... I'm sorry, have you ever the, played a Paper Mario game? I would rather have the 3D Castlevanias. I'd rather have God of War 1 and 2. I'd rather have, have Final Fantasy 10, 11, and 12. Um, I'd rather have the Dark Cloud series. There's so many... I'll give you Dark games. Cloud. That is one game series saying, that like, didn't I grew up 100% a Nintendo fanboy. And the 64 doesn't cut it in my mind. And the other problem is the 64 is being like, if you were to go 64 versus PlayStation one, that would be more apt because that was both generations coming into the same thing at the same time. Whereas Ryan pointed out that this is the second generation of it for PlayStation. And there's a reason the PlayStation two is one of the greatest selling consoles of all time. And it's because it was a DVD player because of the library you can say it's because of it's a DVD player, but the library still holds up to this day, which is why so many of them were put out on the PlayStation 3, the PSP, you know, now playable on maybe the 4 and the 5, the 6. But I'm being asked by a half-naked 6-year-old if I can go visit him for a second. Clearly the real debate is PlayStation 2 versus N64. Yep, that was quite a heated debate. So we'll just have to see what happens whenever that goes to Twitter. So um, remember, Mike, you can only vote once. That's what you think. I know you've got certain people, but all right. So those are the the heavy hitters. Uh, let's just a quick recap there. So we have Game Boy Advance going up against the Sega Saturn in the 1-8 matchup. Uh, GameCube versus Sega CD for the 2.7. Uh, PlayStation 2 versus Nintendo 64, which is a 3.6 game. And the uh, Dreamcast versus the Game Boy, Game Boy Color, the 4.5 spot, which seemed to be pretty evenly matched. Uh, again, a lot of heat for that PlayStation 2 Nintendo 64 matchup. Uh, a couple of the others, I think it's going to be uh, pretty clear who the winner is. But again, uh, Never know, there may be a dark horse, maybe a Cinderella team that's gonna rise up and surprise us all. Now, part of this this segment here is that I asked them to come up with well, just some of those weird, wacky consoles, things that just had their, you know, 15 minutes of fame, didn't really catch on too much, and then they were gone. So we voted on those. And uh, here are, are the rankings. And to be honest, even though I voted in these, I'm not even sure what happened. I just put the numbers in, and this is what it gave me. So in that number one versus number eight matchup is the classic 3DO versus Tamagotchi. And I, I really don't even know what to say. Like, I don't really want to see remakes of any of these. This is why this is the NIT. This is the, the, the joke side. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to buy any of these. I'm ones. sorry. But when I was in school, Tamagotchi was not a joke. Okay. So, Grouchy, what is your take on Tamagotchi? Tamagotchi 
is the whole reason that Nintendo could put out a pet series and know that it would succeed so well. It was kind of like the originator of that. You carry around this stupid little digitized thing. You feed your Tamagotchi. It hatches into something. You look at it. You pretend you're cool. You probably don't get any in high school because you have a Tamagotchi. But Nintendo dogs, Nintendo cats, all of that stuff stemmed from it. You have to look at something in the past and be like, why does this exist? Well, Tamagotchi is the reason that all of these weird little pet petting simulator things exist. And that's the reason that I think Tamagotchi is an important part of our history. How about you, Mike? I know that uh, this was one of the ones that was at the top of your list. So, uh, uh, Tamagotchi is a thing that I thought was silly at the time. I still think it's silly. Um, I, I picked my list based on what I thought would be the the least impressive uh, showing. Um, maybe that was the wrong way to organize my list, but uh, here we are. So the Tamagotchi, just, just looking through it, seems to have multiple versions that go from like very pixelated, like before Game Boy, like versions up to uh like colorful versions of you know the pet taking care of simulator and I, I think you know if it was your thing at the time it was probably fun but does it compare to um a console um pr- probably not okay uh, yeah so it's kind of tough to see that as a console but probably more as one of those uh, impulse buys as you're checking out at the grocery store and the 3DO, again, I'm sure that it had some good games. It had a lot of promise. It just didn't have the support that it needed. And okay, but but I think, move, it, was all, I think, it, I think um, it also was like an $800 system at the time. I was going to say, what even is a 3DO? I, I've heard the name, but I, I don't know anything about it. Uh, it was made by Panasonic, and it was supposed to be one of these, you know, all-inclusive devices it was going to play all your media and it was going to revolutionize um home media it just just didn't work out so uh let's go ahead and move on to the to the next one the four five matchup uh but do we want some three. of the games for the 3do you're not going to remember them. oh okay <laughs> i mean need for I, speed we wouldn't remember that or, or road rash or um no sure road rash X. Anyways, moving on. Uh, so we've got Virtual Boy versus... Now, we have the Sega Saturn again. We just couldn't get enough of that, but we're going to turn that into the 32X. Yeah, 32X tried to complete that Tower of Power going up against Virtual Boy because we all need redlined headaches. So Virtual Boy versus... Um, 32X is actually an interesting matchup because both of them have a very, very limited library. Um, the Virtual Boy has, I think, 13 games. And the 32X has also I, not much more than the number that it lists. I don't remember exactly. Uh, off the top of my head, I'd have to look it up. Uh, 34. 34 um, 32X games. So... Yeah. So either way, you're, you're not getting a major library here. But the cool thing about getting a Virtual Boy 
is that you would essentially get the entire library, right? Well, yeah, I guess so. If you're making a little virtual or, uh, you know, mini console, you only have 13 games as long as you don't have licensing issues. Sure. Uh, I mean, it's uh, Bomberman, Wario Land, Mario Clash, a Mario Tennis, Red Alarm, Jack Bros, um, Virtual Bowling. Um, yeah. I, I would like to point Tetris. out that the 32 had almost as many canceled games as it had released games. Just looking at, you know, Wikipedia. How many canceled games did the Virtual Boy have? Probably zero. They released all of them, and then they were like, eh, we'll revisit this in 20 years. As a peripheral made out of cardboard for your Switch. I wish. I really do wish. I would have bought it. <laughs> it was a thing. Did you not know that they had the 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 what, virtual reality Switch thing you could put it on uh breath of the wild had a virtual reality mode no i meant releasing the uh, virtual boy games for it's like a labo attachment oh <laughs> oh yeah so that that's how they would do it they release it as a labo version i gotcha <laughs> oh, if only we ran nintendo sounds like an idea for a podcast uh, i don't know one of these days all right so um uh, let's look at the three versus six matchup. Uh, coming at number three is the CDI uh, against the Ouya. Ouya had a lot of promise, just didn't uh, come through. So let's see if we can revive that again. But going up against the CDI, I mean, the CDI has such classics as oh, it's got uh, a Zelda game or two, right? Uh, three, I think. Isn't it? Uh, there's Wanda Gamelon, Faces of Evil. I feel like there was a third one. I, I could be wrong. Well, looking and, here, and they uh, had the the Hotel Mario that I mentioned. Yep. But then some of the other games here were uh, games that you could have played on a PC back in the '90s. You've got, you know, the Seventh Guest, Dragon's Lair, Mad Dog McCree. So you've got some. Uh, some pretty popular games here that were available on the CDI. So it'd be nice to see some of these make a, you know, make a comeback. So that might be interesting. Uh, the Ouya, that was, wasn't that just an Android based system? I believe so. It was to play phone games on your TV. Yep. Stylized, uh, the Ouya stylized as Ouya is an Android based mini console developed by Ouya Inc. Yeah, so thanks, Google, for that description. Uh, I, I honestly didn't know much about it. I, I saw how tiny the little console was and imagined it being tinier and thought it was hilarious because it's like the console is smaller than the controller already. I think it's just another classic case of overpromise and underdeliver. Stadia. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean, it's not like any of us would, you know, risk it all for Stadia, right? That would be silly. Uh, right, Crouchy? Uh, I'd rather play my Stadia than my N64. But let's see if you still feel that way in two years when Stadia is gone. 
Two years. That's such a long time to commit to anything. Okay, so to, to avoid uh, more console flame wars, uh, let's move on to the the last matchup here, uh, which is... It's odd. It's like you've got two schools from the same university system going up against each other because we have, coming at number two, the, the Atari Jaguar, uh, going up against number seven, the Atari Lynx. In case you guys forgot, the Atari Lynx was that neat little color handheld system that you could play if you were left-handed or right-handed, depending on how you wanted to orient the system. Well, Which that does sound like a neat feature, but I think with everything else being catered to right-handed people, I think most left-handed people probably just play that way, right? Well, it was, it was just so weird because you had... You know, the, the control pad and you had two buttons that were either on the bottom or the top, depending on, or well, I guess when, when you look at it for us, people that are right handed or just the normal orientation, the control pad is on the left and you've got two pairs of buttons on the right. And so you'd be using the bottom two if you're right handed. And if you were left handed, so it goes, you would flip it upside down so that you'll be using your right thumb to control and your left thumb for the buttons. Which, kind of looking back at it now, seems, I guess that was an accessibility feature. I guess I never really realized that was an issue that a lot of people had. I don't really know that there were too many left-handed people that were saying, oh, I can't get into video games because I'm left-handed. Yeah, but looking at it, like those buttons are so far down, I think it would be uncomfortable to hold it. Like, no well, matter may what. Have the well, I may have the orientation wrong in terms of which ones were used um, for your right hand. But it kind of reminds me of the, the moment that my mother got out of playing video games with us. Like growing up playing on the Nintendo 64, the Intellivision or the Atari, um, my mom would play games with us. And the moment that she stopped was with the Nintendo, with the original NES, because now all of a sudden the control stick or the control pad was on the left. And when you're playing the Atari, you're holding it in your left hand, using your right hand to control and using your left thumb for the button. And once those operations got swapped, she just couldn't wrap her mind around it. And it just, that meant the end of her playing days, which was really sad because I remember playing a lot of those games on the Intellivision and like my mom was really good at this stuff. Yeah, anyway, and then there was the, yeah I, I mean, I remember playing Astro Smash, Night Stalker, um, Pitfall, all those I guess would be classic games. Um, even the stuff on the Commodore 64. Uh, and then you've got the Atari Jaguar which has one of the I guess strangest looking controllers that I've ever seen. Yeah, it looks because like it's it got uh, like a, a like a phone number pad on it. Right. With, so with it's the Genesis uh, controller strapped to the top. Yeah, it was like this combination of like a modern day controller and then the classic controllers like you would have had for the Intellivision. Because if you guys don't remember the Intellivision controllers, it was a you know vertically oriented rectangle. 
it had a circular disc at the bottom for controlling your character, but then it had a three by four grid of uh, numbers, like almost like a telephone pad, and you would slide these plastic overlays on top of it for each of the games. So you would know what each button did. So if you're playing a game like Utopia, you know, you know, one button would be for planting crops or planting or, or establishing a, a school or a boat. Uh, for another game, it would be, you know, maybe firing an arrow or firing a gun. And so I think that's kind of what they were doing here with, with the Jaguar controller. It is, I don't know, it, it's, it's a beast. And it tried, it tried to be a 64-bit console, but I think it wasn't a true 64-bit console. I remember back in the day, they had a lot of these advertisements about, you know, 64-bit, it's more than 16, you do the math. But I guess that didn't also include the price tag on the console. Don't do the math there. <laughs> or or the game library. Uh, yeah. and I, I don't even see anything that wasn't released on a previous version of a thing that is recognizable at all. Yeah, I think they too ran into the same issue that Nintendo has run into on some of their previous consoles is not having a third-party support. So yeah, there we have, you know, our, our matchups. I think some of these are, hmm. you know, on this joke side, I think some of these matchups are a little bit more difficult to, to figure out. So just to recap, you've got 3DO versus Tamagotchi. You've got Virtual Boy versus the Sega 32X, the CDI versus the Ouya, and the Atari Jaguar versus the Atari Lynx. Now there were some teams that I guess you would have said were receiving votes, but they just didn't receive enough to make it into the tournament. So these guys were on the bumble and they, well, they just didn't win their, didn't win their um, conference games, didn't win the tournament and we had to eliminate them. So we're looking at saying goodbye and happy trails to the Xbox, the original Xbox, the PSP, the Neo Geo, the Wonder Swan, and the Apple IIe. So I guess we won't be getting that mini console of the Apple IIe with all the productivity software, along with Oregon Trail. And uh, Grouchy, I think, had a very special um, dream machine uh, system that uh, he had put together, a, a unicorn of sorts. Not really a unicorn, but... What I want is I want them to re-release Rock Band as essentially its own console. So what you get is you buy your instrument of choice, whether that's the microphone, the guitar, the bass, the keyboard, the drums, the xylophone, the cello, whatever. And you have access to your entire Rock Band library of songs, you know, link it up online but every instrument is its own console being able to cast to your television so that you can fire it up you know hit some chords or whatever select your songs that you're going to play and then if you have friends with other instruments which um maybe next year guys not not this year during covid next year um like if i fire up my guitar and somebody else like hooks up their drum set and fires that up. The 
instruments will sync to each other. And if one of them's already casting to your TV or to the TV at the sports bar, then they'll just sync up and you can play your songs together and you can form this rock band of friendship. And I just think it would be really cool to, uh, to release a rock band console like that, but no actual console. You know, this is kind of like cloud streaming except for done right. And you get to rock out. Let's see. It does sound like a good time. It really does. It might be the best idea I've ever had. Actually, what they really need to do with rock band is they need to make the instruments um, more readily available and not for not being resold for $300. You know, it's crazy because at one point you couldn't sell the instruments because everybody had too many of them. So people just threw them away. And now nobody can get them and they're extremely expensive. See, I, I have... am on the wrong side of history. And I believe I have the Guitar Hero World Tour set. That'd be that'd be a good set. See, I've got I've got a guitar and I have well, I've got the drum set, but I've got a broken uh, uh, pedal to it. But unfortunately, it won't play on the modern consoles. So it's and I've got a broken Xbox 360, which is a real shame because I've got some games I'd like to play on that. And I'd like to play Rock Band again, but I just don't, I, I'm not going to drop $300 just to get a guitar that will work with, you know, the Series X or the Xbox One. You know, while you're saving up for your Super Nintendo Switch Pro, you should just mm. use that money towards a guitar instead. Well, that's, uh, that is a thought. That's definitely a thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now we got our, our, our craziness out of the way. Let's talk about what we have been playing. And uh, Mike, you're up first. Okay, so uh, I've actually played um, quite a bit um, since the last time I was on. Um, finished the uh, the Disney Afternoon Collection, uh, which included uh, Darkwing Duck, which I used for my retro style game. Um, DuckTales, which I used for uh, Beat a Platformer Square. DuckTales 2, which I used for a game with a bird on the box. Uh, shout out to the community for helping me realize that there's birds on the box because I didn't look at the box. Uh, I wasn't going to count it originally. Um, Tailspin, um, a game released before the the 360 generation. Um, and Chippendale 1 and 2 as a game and its sequel. And then um, I also beat... Um, a little game called Whipsy, uh, 100% game square, uh, short, sweet game, uh, only about six levels. Um, I did, I did gift it to my friend Grouchy. Um, hope he enjoys beating it in two hours like I did. And then, uh, played through Man of Medan for beat a walking simulator with Dom. And, um, by the time this comes out, I should have the, um, uh, the busted backlog uh, episode up on that, uh, so you may have already heard my thoughts on that game. And then uh, the game that I'm going to talk about today uh, that I finished uh, was for a horror game is The Medium. 
Um, it's the latest game from uh, Blooper Team. Um, basically, <clears throat> you take on the role of Marianne, and she is the titular medium. And you meet up with her just as her adopted father passes away. And in that moment, you help her or control her as she's going through uh, the grief of, of saying goodbye. And you get to kind of see into the, the dual realities of the, the game, which is like the selling point of the game is the dual realities. Uh, as she says goodbye to um, her adopted father. Um, um, after you're introduced to the mechanics of the game, she gets this call from uh, someone named Thomas, and next thing uh, we know, she's off to explore this abandoned hotel um, in the middle of nowhere called Neva. And as she's exploring, she comes to discover um, the tragedies that took place and the evil that exists there. She uses her abilities to um, explore and help to to calm all of the evils that exist in the, the area or to the best of her ability. Um, the, the game, it is more um, of a story-focused uh, experience than um, like a Silent Hill would be, which it gets compared to Silent Hill a lot. And, and it has some similarities, but it's really more of its own thing, in my personal opinion. Um, the the people over at Blooper Team did a great job with the environments. And then um, they, they actually did have um, the composer um, from the Silent Hill games do the soundtrack, and they did a phenomenal job. Uh, they had the guy who plays um, uh, Joel from The Last of Us is the voice of the monster, and he does a fantastic job. It's some of the, the creepiest uh, voice acting I've, I've heard in a game uh, at any point. Uh, and it's just it's a really good game. Um, it's available right now only on PC and Xbox um, series consoles, uh, but it's on Game Pass. So if you have the ability to play it, um, it's a big recommend for me. It's only about eight to ten hours. Um, and if you're going to do it, though, make it a point to really dive into the lore and pick up everything and read it so that you get a really good understanding of everything that's going on there. And it, it just makes the experience so much better to, to experience it that way than you would if you just tried to rush through it. And I know a lot of people play games that way. And if you're one of those types of people, I would say, you know, don't play it. But if you're one that can get invested into the lore and, and really invested into the stories of the characters that, um, existed then it's definitely worth checking out all right so you said it takes about eight to ten hours to get through that yep now you put this as a horror game is it is it just the the theme is it full of jump scares there is exactly one jump scare and it's pretty early on um and it's pretty well forecasted um, if you're paying attention, 
Um, I was not at the time, but on a second playthrough, I could see it uh, coming um, when I was watching Dom play through part of it before my TV died. I, I've since replaced it, uh, thankfully, but um, yeah, it, it, it's pretty well forecasted and it's the horror aspect of the game rounding back to the actual question is the uh the setting the the environment and there are some um stealth uh sections against the evil beings uh and then some like chase sections that really lean into the horror but it is more of the exploring and learning about the environment, like the the area, than the the stealth and the, and the horror aspects. But it is still um, a horror setting. Okay, cool. Uh, Grachi, what have you been playing? I have been playing a little bit of Mario. Bowser's Fury something 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 um, not a whole lot I got through the first couple worlds um, I really enjoy the fact that it's a 3D 2D hybrid almost if anyone's played it it's not quite your typical 3D Mario adventure but it's also not your typical 2D Mario adventure because you do have a little bit more room for maneuverability and you walk around on a 3D plane a little bit but it seems like an interesting mix of the two. Um, I'm through almost the first two worlds so far, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's one of those ones I wished I picked up on the Wii U, but I never did. Uh, I've been playing a little bit of Knack 2, but just a little bit, you know, got through probably the first level, was having Jacob watch me play that. Uh, a little bit of Bioshock Infinite, um, but what I do want to announce is that last night I got home and I played for about four straight hours until two in the morning and I finally beat The Last of Us Part Two. And congratulations. Yes, that was um, mentally and physically draining. It was one of those games where I could only play so much at a time. And then I was just like, all right, I need a mental break. I have to put the controller down and walk away so that I can just take in whatever happened and uh, move on with life. But um, I thought I was close to the end yesterday when I started. So I, I was playing and then I got to what I thought was the ending. I was like, oh, okay. And then it kept going and then I kept going. And I'm like, gee, when am I going to be able to put the controller down? Cause at this point I had it in my mind. I'm like, I'm not going to bed and I'm looking and it's like, Oh, it's like 1230. Okay. Okay. It's like one Okay. Oh, Oh, finally the credits came on. It's two in the morning. I get to go to sleep, but it, it's an emotional journey. If you've played the first one, it messes with your feelings from the first game. There's also a lot of parallels from the first game. So if people played that, um, you know, that could be a conversation that we have outside because I don't know how many people have played it and made it through or have not made it through and want to get to it. So I don't really want to spoil anything, but I found a lot of parallels between the games and I loved The Last of Us from a gameplay perspective. 
The game is one of the most gorgeous things I've ever seen. And I started playing it on the PS4. I finished playing it on the PS5. The visuals are amazing. The motion capture they did was amazing. The the actors did such a good job. And the way I played the game was in the middle of the game, there's this like, there's a split where they could have ended the game, but they do continue with it. Uh, the game took me about 28 hours to finish, but I, I paused on that split. I was just like, I need to take a break and step away from the game. So I came back to it months later. And then as I'm playing the second half of the game, once I got to where in my mind, the ending should have been, I came across things that happened in the first game. And it's like, Oh, I forgot that happened. Oh, I forgot that happened. And the the game, it, it takes you on a huge emotional journey and it's I don't it's this weird blending of the medias because it is a video game but this could have been a movie and it has very it has a lot of aspects of movie like at the end of the game you know there's there's some scenes that you're playing in but mostly it's like acted out cutscenes and I don't know. It's hard to talk about the game without spoiling anything. So, um, well, I for one appreciate you going out of your way not to spoil it because it is on my backlog for this year. Um, I did finish the the first one last year, so I, I'm looking forward to playing it at some point. But what the way you're describing it, I might have to find a time to play it when the little ones aren't around. Well, you can let Dom watch you. I mean. <laughs> But it's one of those ones where, like, once you get to it, if you're going to record one of your offshoot podcasts with Dom, if we can schedule it, I would love to be on that as well. Okay. Because there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to talk about in that game. But that's that's what I've been playing. So I was up till 2 in the morning. I finally beat it. I get to cross it off. I put it on... Like there's so many places I could have put this on backlog bingo. I was, I originally had it slated for like a sequel and I chose to put it in the slot that a game that takes over 25 hours. Cause it took me about 28. So that's where it landed for me. And that is my third game beat this year. Ryan, Nicely done. what have you been playing? I, well, here in the past couple of weeks, I haven't, haven't been playing much of anything. Uh, since the last time that we met, I've been playing Cuphead with my son, and I'm hoping to turn that into a little you know, extra episode um, on the podcast feed. I've been playing more Civilization V. I don't even know what comes over me. Sometimes I just have to load it up and play, and yeah, Uh I don't know, I'm what, 300 hours into the game and I keep playing more and more rounds. Um, I started playing a little bit of Age of Empires 2 through Game Pass because I saw that um, uh, Garrett from the Snow Shack, I saw him play that one, you know, on one of his streams and, and he talked about that and said maybe I should try it out. So checked it out. Uh, pretty interesting. Uh, we'll try to put some more time into that. But again, I've just been drowning with work here lately, so I haven't had a whole lot of time. But uh, about a month ago, I played a couple of games on Game Pass and beat both of them. And they were games that you can easily beat in one sitting. 
it's just a matter of, you know, can you find three or four hours, knock them out and be done. So if you're trying to find something nice to fill in one of your backlog bingo squares, especially the one that says beat a game in under five hours or beat a Metroidvania or 100% a game, uh, here's some suggestions for you. So just real quickly, uh, one of the games that I've played and completed was Donut County, uh, developed by Ben Esposito and published by Anapurna Interactive. Uh, it's just a quick, simple game. So if you are a fan of Trash Pandas, who can control holes that swallow up everything that they can fit in the hole, uh, then this is a game for you. Uh, I started it you know, one morning and I finished it in just a couple hours, maybe three hours, I'm not sure. Uh, and most of it's pretty straightforward. Uh, you control a hole and you move it around on the ground to get objects to fall into it. The more objects that fall into the hole, the bigger the hole gets so that you can swallow bigger and bigger objects. Um, there is a weird, wacky story that goes along with this where you are a human living in a town populated by animals. One of those is a raccoon who somehow has gotten his mitts on a device that can control holes in the ground. And he has used this device to mess with all of his neighbors, whether it's an alligator or um, kangaroo or, or whatever it is that's out there. He's just been messing with them uh, to disastrous results. And everybody has ended up in a hole in the ground. And your job is to try to put everything uh, back together. Um, for the most part, each level is just one kind of self-contained spot and your goal is to basically swallow up everything in the hole so you find the smaller pieces make the hole bigger to get the bigger pieces and so on there are a few uh, physics-based puzzles um, a couple other just basic problem solving uh, things that you have to get through but it's pretty simple not a whole lot to it the the writing is pretty good kind of funny kind of cute um, I don't know how I don't think this game has much lasting appeal but it's good for just a few hours. You're not going to be upset with yourself that you played the game for a couple hours to, to complete it. It was fun while it lasted, but it's not going to be one of these games. I don't think that I'm going to go back and play over and over again. Uh, the big one though, that I played, I say big one. There's another quick game was got a Roboto. Uh, this is a game that I already have on Twitch prime and is available on game pass. So I thought now it's time for me to give it a, give it a shot. In case you don't know, Gato Roboto is a two-dimensional side-scrolling Metroidvania in pixelated monochromatic goodness. So it's all black and white, very pixelated, but very, very good, very smooth, um, very, I don't know, just kind of, it, it, it's standard. It does, or it does a good job of what it means to do as a platformer, as a Metroidvania, um, so like I said, I had this on Twitch prime. I never really played it until it came to game pass. And a little bit last year, I was watching my son play it and I played a few minutes of it as I was trying to help him through a difficult spot or a difficult jump or whatever. Uh, but last month I picked it up, I played it and he was sitting next to me and we were talking about it, talking about how far he got. And then he was also helping me once he, once we got beyond the point where he had been in the game and it was just a really fun time to sit there and play the game next to him and then it got to be so late this okay it's time for him to go to bed i wanted to keep playing but 
I didn't want to play without him. So the next day, when it was uh, in the evening, I said, hey, you want to watch me finish playing the game? And so, you know, knocked out the last 30 minutes or an hour, and it was a really good time. So in the game, if you can't tell by the title, Gato Roboto is a game where you play as a cat named Kiki, who is the pet slash companion of a pilot of a spaceship who receives a distress signal. And while they try to figure out what is going on with the distress signal, the ship crashes on the planet, which injures the captain, and it's up to Kiki to go find help. And very quickly, you stumble upon a mech suit. It's crazy that's just the right size for your cat, and then you're off to the races. Uh, you're battle your way through a few levels, only about three or four different areas to get through. They're all pretty small. Uh, it's got a nice map feature, kind of like uh, Super Metroid. So it's pretty easy to see where secrets may be. It's very easy to figure out how to backtrack and uh, figure out where you need to go next. Uh, as you go through the levels, you find upgrades to your suit that will improve your firepower or jumping capabilities. Um, you even learn the ability to dash, which helps you get through certain areas. Um, and you can also find health upgrades to your suit. And there are also these cassette tapes that you can find. And when you find one, it will allow you to change um, the two colors used for display. So the default one is black and white. You might find one that is like this odd off yellow color or one that's kind of greenish or red. So just different hues that you can find. It's really just cosmetic. But the more of those you find, um, there are two special upgrades that you can get from uh, one of the NPCs in the game. So it's well worth your time to go to those out of the reach places to, tr to try to find everything. Uh, but you also come across computer terminals that, de that detail part of what's happened in the world uh, that you find yourself in. So some experiments have gone awry and um, trying to figure out what's going on and who you need to help. Uh, and as you would expect with a Metroidvania, there are boss battles sprinkled in among the traversing and fortunately, there's almost always a safe spot close by. So dying is it's never really all that costly. It's pretty easy to get back in and get back into the boss fight. Um, and the boss fights are, it, it's your standard fare. Uh, learn the pattern recognition, be patient, and you'll be able to take down the boss in no time. And your main antagonist is, as you might guess, a mouse. So the mouse is always getting in his own version of a mech suit these crazy contraptions trying to kill the cat. Um, what I liked about the game is that it felt like it was just the right size. It never overstated. It's, it's, it's welcome. You could get in. You could quickly move around. There wasn't a lot of exposition. Um, and the controls were great. The sound was great. Um, you really felt like you were in that mech suit firing away at the and you have the enemies at the bosses breaking breaking through walls um, so if you've got game pass or even if you don't I, I recommend it it's a good you know three to four hour game it's a game that's pretty I'd say pretty easy to 100% um, I did not 100% this game I got to 98% so there was one one little thing that I was missing um, and I never went back to figure out what it was because unfortunately you get to the point where it says, you know, after this, you're not going to be able to go back to your previous save or go back to these other areas. And I thought I had everything, but I was missing something. 
But anyway, uh, that's what I played. That's what I've been playing. And so I'm going to use those guys. Those two games filling in the squares for beating a game in under five hours, which would be Donut County and uh, Metroidvania Square uh, for Gata Roboto. So yeah. Uh, and now we're going to talk about what we're going to be playing next. So we'll have to go with Mike. What are you up to? Well, first I'd like to take a second to say that those were two excellent games. Uh, I played both of them last year and fantastic, fantastic games. Good choice. Yeah, um, I, I, with the with the donut count, I, I just I just want to see what this is and I just get playing and playing and then, oh, it's over. Um, but yeah, but the Gato Roboto, it's got great controls. And so if you like Metroidvanias, but you don't want to have to spend, you know, too many hours playing it, it's a nice quick fix for it. Yeah, Donut County is one that I picked up on uh, on Switch uh, when it was like $2 a while back. And almost everybody in my house has played through it. Uh, Dom finished it. Uh, my eldest daughter finished it. Um, my youngest daughter played through most of it on her own. I helped her with some of like the, the physics-based puzzles, but it's you know really fun, simple gameplay that, that anybody can get into. Anyways, moving right along, uh, the games that I, I plan to play uh, going forward, um, are, most of these I've started uh, and I just need to finish up. Um, Katamari Damacy Reroll uh, for the Switch. I had to take a break when my TV stopped working because I'm not going to play that game handheld. Um, I have a hard enough time with it anyway. The, the controls are pretty uh, challenging for me. I, I think mostly right. because I'm bad at games. Um, Resident Evil 3 is another one that I started before my TV uh, died on me. and I, I didn't get very far in it at all, so I'll, I'll probably start completely over. Uh, but that's the remake. And then uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. Um, I'm a good chunk of the way through the the levels in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1. So the those are the games I, I plan to play. And uh, I've also fallen back into uh, my old uh, my old addiction. Uh, I'm back to playing Dead by Daylight. Um, it's, it's, it is a problem, and, and I don't know how I'll solve it. But... Uh, probably going to play a lot of that too now is dead by daylight the game that is like a i'm not sure what the what the right word is but you play with people online and you try to hunt down ghosts and stuff is that a different game i think you're thinking of uh phasmophobia maybe oh maybe uh, that's it the dead by daylight is uh multiplayer asymmetrical horror game where one player takes control of the the killer and the other four players take control of survivors uh survivors jobs are to power the generators and escape and the killer's job is to prevent them from doing that um it's all multiplayer all the time but it i just have so much fun when i play it i i i, I have an issue with online games i guess every time i have a I really when i get into an online game i get deep into an online game hmm. yeah I, I i don't really do the online gaming stuff um but it's a i guess that's a great way to interact with people especially whenever you may be spending a lot of your time stuck at home 
I, I do have one more update um, for, for me. Uh, I started playing uh, Sea of Thieves today with my son, and, and I did it in an interesting way uh, because I, I upgraded my internet. So now that I have fiber internet, I'm able to um, use my phone uh, to play games, um, streaming them. Uh, there's an xCloud um with game pass so while he was playing through game pass on the xbox uh, i was playing on my phone and it was a, a really good and smooth experience with the upgraded internet it i was thoroughly impressed with with how well it played and the just complete and utter lack of uh desync that i experienced that's cool yeah, uh, and you were mentioning uh, Katamari. You know, I've I've played that a little bit. I run into an issue of almost getting motion sickness with the camera controls. So um, it's an interesting game, but a lot of times I feel like I just kind of get stuck and I get frustrated. And um, especially since it does not auto-save, that is a, a huge point of contention for me. Please auto-save for me <laughs> or give me the option to turn it on. Uh, that part didn't bother me too much. It's like I, I get invested in a level and like it's you've got eight minutes to collect X number of things. And um, I know that if I don't get it, then I'm going to have to sit there and explore that same level for another eight minutes. And it's just a slog. And I, I know that, that Patrick and Jeremy absolutely love this game and, and I want to love it too. I, I just I don't know that I will. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try though. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try, but I make no promises. Yeah, no, I, I feel you on that one. Uh, so for me coming up, I mean, if I can find time to play games, because I got spring break coming up in a in a week or so, so that'd be nice. Uh, I would like to play some more Trials of Mana. I've probably played thirty minutes to an hour. I just, I just started. Um, and this was all during me trying to fix the switch you know, a few weeks ago. What's, your, uh, what's your team? I don't know. I don't know their names. I, I know that two of the characters are the one that has a spear. And the, I guess the, whoever the main guy is, the one that looks like the one from Sigur of Mana who would have a sword. Okay. And I can't remember my third one. So, so it's, someone asked me about this on Twitter, and I'm like, I, I don't know their names. Okay. Um, I can't say the the chick's name that you're talking about with the spear. It's Rius or Rice or Reese, Reese or something Reese, like that. I think is her name. And then the the guy with the sword is Duran. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I and I can't even remember the third person that I chose. In the back of my mind, I was remembering what somebody had posted on Twitter about one of the characters having very horrible dialogue uh, with the voice acting. And so I, I think I was trying to avoid that person, but I don't know. I don't know if I did. Uh, and the other thing I, I mentioned this a little while ago was playing Cuphead. So my son and I have been playing uh, off and on Cuphead together because, uh, well, he has beaten it. I got to the very last level, last boss, and I, just couldn't beat it on my own and he helped me with that but we've been playing all the levels co-op we haven't been playing without the other person um are you guys we were, doing the the 
the the normal difficulty or the easy difficulty? No, we're doing the normal. Like we're collecting all the contracts. Um, and we are doing, we did, I think three of the running guns just so that we could have enough money to uh, get some different weapons. And we were in the last island and we only have one more boss to beat. So, I mean, we, I think what's pretty funny is that playing this game together, we have been able to get through all, but except for the last boss that we haven't gotten to yet, uh, we've been able to get through these bosses so much faster than the first time that we were playing. And it's just, it's just kind of crazy. Cause I remember when we were doing these on our own, you know, yeah, we'd spend like an hour just to beat one of them. But now it's just a few minutes. And it's like, man, this person is not nearly as bad as I thought they were the first time. So we'd have... Do you think it's that the the bosses don't scale or that you guys just know the patterns or that you're just so much better at the game now? I think, I think it's probably experience that we have with the game. Um, choosing the right weapons, uh, communicating with each other, you know, saying, oh, I'm, I'm dead, come get, you know, revive me or whatever, or just like recognizing patterns, calling out warnings to the other person. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's been really fun, see that uh, to do that. So I'm I'm hoping that we'll finish that, and then uh, I can record something with him. I think he would like to do that. We've been talking about it for a while. That that's one that uh, I've been hesitant to to pick up. Uh, Dom, you know, he's an artist and he really loves the art style of it, but we're um, afraid that um, it would be a bit too challenging for for us because it is always described as as um, the dark souls of whatever side-scrolling platform shooter genre thing that it is and uh, I, I just don't know if we can can stomach that kind of difficulty you like Celeste though don't you I do he, he doesn't if you can stomach Celeste Cuphead is a lot better to me better? I think so. I watched my son die, you know, a few thousand times playing Celeste. He kept going back to it. I'm like, I, I, I would have walked away from it. Uh, but there, there's something about Cuphead. And I think once you learn the patterns, it is, I don't ever feel like it was being cheap. A couple of times, you know, early on, I might have, I might have felt that. Then you learn the patterns, you know where you're supposed to be, you choose the, the right weapons, and you come up with a strategy, and then you're going to be okay. And when you finally do take down one of the bosses, like it's it's this great moment of elation. And especially whenever you're playing it together and you communicate, it makes it a lot more fun. And I remember the first time that I played Cuphead was at a friend's house, and I was just doing a running gun level. I thought, man, this is really frustrating, and I don't like this. But I think think part of that was I was getting frustrated I didn't know the control scheme I was just kind of jumping into it blindly um, but yeah if you can pick it up on sale I I think it's worth it um, we've definitely enjoyed our time with it alright so uh, let's go ahead and switch gears and get to some of our community questions so we actually got some questions this time um, now I guess we can go ahead and start off with this one from uh, at Paula Grinnell 17. Am I saying that name right? Yes. 
Oh, fantastic. And yeah, 17 is hard to figure out, but it, it is a number that's kind of up your alley. No, no, no. Love those prime numbers. Um, so she asks if we ever judge a game by its cover. And it's going, going on to say, if you, know, if you walk into a game store and see a game you've never seen um, any gameplay for, and you've heard little about it, do you judge it based on the cover or do you look up information before you buy it? Uh, you want me to go first? Sure, go for it. Um, 100% I'm going to look up information about a game. Um, as a kid, uh, go into uh, the Hogan's video down the street uh, to rent games. It would just be looking at the cover and, okay, let's go. Because you didn't have a choice, you know? Uh, and I'd end up with stinkers. And, you know, then the weekend's ruined. Uh, now, as an adult, not only would the weekend be ruined, but um, I'm also the one having to pay for it. So it would be doubly ruined. So I'm definitely going to look up or look into any game before uh, before I buy it. Yeah, I, I know I'm kind of I'm kind of pulled in two different directions on this because you know in this day and age, or even back when I was younger, when I was you know had these magazine subscriptions and I would look at the pictures. And of course, there there is a different thing when you don't have gameplay and you're just looking at you know three or four you know stock photos of this game or the advertisement. You know, what kind of judgments do we make about those games? Like, oh man, this game's so awesome. Look at the graphics. And they actually play it and you go, what in the world is going on? <laughs> but, you know, just like you, we had a local mom and pop video game uh, or it's a video rental store. And yeah, you just pick up a cover and it's like, oh, that looks really cool. And so to me, I, I do judge a lot of games or even, even books by the cover. Um, does it Does it grab me? Does it look like something I'm going to enjoy? And I, yes, I admit I would quickly dismiss you know, a game or a book that way. Even now, whenever I look at some of the deals that are online for, for video games, um, if the cover doesn't look right or if the name doesn't sound like something I want, I'll go ahead and dismiss it. And I don't feel like I'm going to be missing out because if it's a really good game, I'm going to see other people talk about it and that will then cause me to give it a second look. But with the hundreds of games that are coming out these days, I don't have time to look at gameplay for all these. And so I've got, and we have such a backlog as it is anyway, I'm going to try to focus on that or focus on the games that I know that I'm going to like, the games that I've been interested in. Um, and so if you want to grab my attention, you better be cheap. You better have a cool name and your, your image, your box art, better grab my attention and the screenshots need to really be indicative of what the game's about. So I guess I'm kind of judgy on that. Is well, that me a bad person. Oh, well, well, I do have to, to roll that back a little bit because, um, one of the games that I, I just finished that we, I talked about briefly, uh, was the whipsy. It was one that I happened to see in the store and it met those criteria the box art looked, you know, bright and colorful. Uh, the gameplay trailer looked, you know, good just based on what the store showed me. And uh, the, the price was right. It was like a dollar and 30 some odd cents, like super cheap. I bought it for me. And like I said, I bought one for Grouchy too, uh, just because, you know, I haven't, I haven't shared as many games with him as I have um, 
everybody else. I still need to come up with something for Jeremy. I, I don't know what to get him or how to get it to him, but uh, working on it. But yeah, I did kind of buy that one, uh, Impulse, and, and I'm not sad that I did. But uh, um, most of the time, I'm going to look look deeper into a game than just than just that. But yeah, I mean, it was a dollar. It's one thing if you're going to drop, <laughs> you're gonna drop fifty dollars as opposed to five dollars. Exactly. All right. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. At Kevin Hummert, twenty eight asks which game he should play for backlog bingo. So here's his list for games. He's got Immortals, Phoenix Rising, Metroid Exit, or excuse me, Metro Exodus, not Metroid, uh, Final Fantasy IV, or Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Now, when I saw this list, uh, at first I was going to say Assassin's Creed Odyssey, right? Why not throw a you know sixty to one hundred hour game for you to try to knock off your backlog? which that game is actually on my backlog. I need to actually probably start it. Uh, but of these games, uh, my eyes were instantly drawn to Final Fantasy IV. That is one of my favorite games of all time. I uh, I feel like I just love so much about that game. You know, classic 16-bit RPG on the Super Nintendo. Uh, the music still plays in my head. Um, the, the graphics, the sprite work, um, the story... I mean, it's it's a fairly linear game in terms of RPGs, but it, I don't know, it was just so so much fun. You know, I remember playing that um, back when it first came out, and then I played the Game Boy 4 Advance uh, on the Game Boy Advance. Um, yeah, so that is what I would suggest uh, Kevin play. What would you pick from that list? You know, I'm inclined to lean the same way you are, uh, but I would wonder which version it is. And uh, okay, here's the thing, though. Let me let me roll you back here. Um, oh, never mind. I was looking at the wrong list. Um, forget what I said. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm inclined to agree with you. Final Fantasy IV is a, a great game, and it, you know, as far as RPGs go and compared to what they, they could be. It's, it's not terribly long, but if it's a story you've never experienced, it, it's a good one. And it kind of leads, um, leads into the, the question we skipped for me. What, what's your favorite, uh, video game quote? Yeah. And, and we'll, maybe we'll come back to that, but. Well, okay. So what were you going to say? Because that's what my favorite video game quote comes from final fantasy four. I, I wonder if it's the same one. It, it, it could it's be. Bard. Yes. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being so confused as a kid. <laughs> and I've had yeah. since explained to me as, as an adult, and I've looked into it more, and okay, I can kind of see where the translation's coming from, but it's still so funny. Yeah, so I don't want to spoil, if, you know, so if Kevin has never played Final Fantasy IV, don't want to spoil that for you. Um, it, yeah. No, the Final Fantasy IV, I remember whenever I first played it, of course, this was Final Fantasy II on the Super Nintendo. Uh, I think my, the the game clock, uh, whenever I beat the game, was at 19 and a half hours. And I think the instruction manual was suggesting it was like a 30 to 40 hour game. So I felt pretty good that I beat it in, you know, just under 20 hours. Um, now, 
you did bring up a good point there, Mike, about what version would he be playing? Because the American version for the Super Nintendo, Final Fantasy II, was, I guess, dumbed down for Western audiences based, you know, compared to what it usually is in Japan. And when you play Final Fantasy IV Advance on the GBA, you can see that they brought back some of those original settings that they had in Japan. So for the American release of Final Fantasy IV, which we have two, um, the game was a little bit easier in terms of the enemies that you fought, in terms of damage that was done. And the cost of certain items were reduced. So it was a lot easier to, to get items because I remember... You know, there's one character who has the ability to throw items. And there's a place where you can just buy, you know, basically throwing stars. He's a ninja. And I just bought a ton of them because I had just a ton of gold when I was playing the game. And then when I went back and I replayed it on the Game Boy Advance, I was like, man, I don't remember this stuff being so expensive. So that, you know, it really is going to make a difference on you know what version he's playing. So hope that he will let us know the version that he does play no knowing him i'm gonna guess it's what's ever available on steam um okay which i'm not sure if that's maybe like the the one that came out on the psp um uh, that includes like the after years maybe um it, well, i think they be. also did like a like a remake of final fantasy 4 to have some 3d elements to it yeah, that one's exclusive to the DS, and that that's my preferred way to play it. Uh, it's it, the harder version. Uh, it's my copy of the game, unfortunately, has has a hard time reading sometimes, so it's it's kind of a pain. But uh, it's definitely worth struggling through if you can get the pens to align right uh, to play it. I I really enjoy that version of the game. Okay, I've never I've never played that though. Um... I think I was really excited for that, but it, I guess it just kind of hit at the wrong time for me. Uh, so Kevin also asks, what gaming genre dominates your backlog? I'm going to let you take lead on this one. Oh, gosh. Why would you do that? Uh, Probably for the same reason that uh, you didn't want me to do that. Well, it's actually not. You know what? I don't know. See, part of me, I was going to say it's not, it's not, it wouldn't be an RPG, but I do have a few that I'm kind of sitting on that I, I need to get through and play. Like I've got Final Fantasy uh, 10 and 10 2 on the Switch that I put maybe one hour into. I've got Trials of Mana. Um, I want to play, play through Dragon Quest 11 again. Um, but I think probably for me, the one that's kind of dominating the backlog. And the ones that I kind of want to get into are some of these big open world games. So I have Assassin's Creed, Origin, and Odyssey. Um, uh, Fable 2, I started playing, you know, sometime last year. I want to get, I'd like to play more of that. But I just get, I get very easily overwhelmed at the prospect of how long it's going to take me to get through those. And the Assassin's Creed games are not games I'm just going to play in the middle of the day. You know, I mean, I've got teenagers, but still there's stuff there that maybe I don't want them to see. And I don't know what's going to happen. And I know that these are games that it's not just, I'm going to play a couple of quick rounds. I'm going to be done. 
So they just sit there and they mock me and they mock Mike as he's coming up with his answer. <laughs> uh, I think for me, I know I have a lot of RPGs on my backlog and that, that might be the thing because growing up, um, RPGs were, uh, what I, I really enjoyed playing, uh, mostly because, uh, I had bad hand-eye coordination. Um, so an RPG was easy enough for me to, to, to play and do well at, cause you know, even if you're struggling, you can just grind and, and then everything's easy. Um, and I continued to, you know, to collect the RPGs, even as my hand-eye coordination got better and the, the distance between, um, you know, how easy an RPG is compared to how easy, uh, more action-based games are, it was, it was closing more and more with the inventions of things like, um, auto save Katamari, where you at on that? And, uh, yeah, I would say say probably RPGs for me, kind of across the board on all of my my consoles that I have have games are, are yeah my game consoles that I have games on. Um, I just I just picked up uh, Bravely Default two, um, but I have I I never actually finished the original Bravely Default or Bravely Second. Um, I have oh the Etrian Odyssey. Uh, four on that I need to beat. Uh, I'm, I, I've never actually finished most of the Final Fantasy games. I finished um, seven and uh, Tactics. And when I finished Tactics, I used a Game Shark, so I don't really count it. Uh, so I've beaten Final Fantasy seven. I, I remember that distinctly because it was. Uh, the year that my uh, my eldest daughter was born, and that's what I was working on playing when she was born. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I tend to, to get so far in an RPG and kind of burn out on it. It just is the struggle. So I, I would say it's probably those for me. Uh, sorry to kind of piggyback on on your answer, but I mean, no, then, no, no, you're you're good. You know, was... oh, go ahead. No, I was just thinking about you. Know, you playing an RPG for so long and then getting burned out on it. Um, that's what another podcaster was saying uh, to on an episode I was listening to this week. Um, I, just, I just can't really imagine that you're, you you would spend, say, 30 hours or even 40 hours, and then you realize, oh, gosh, I'm only halfway through this, and then you just, you just walk away and you quit. And if I've spent 30 hours playing something, it better be something worthwhile that's still keeping me coming back for that long because if it's if it's not why would i've gotten to the 30 hour mark hopefully i would be enjoying it and you know i think the example this person used was dragon quest 11 and i was just one of those my favorite game last year it was so much fun and some people could get could get upset about some of the I guess some of the areas that you, have to, that you go back to, if you really want to explore and really get the full lore of the game, you kind of go back and replay some of the areas, but it's through a different lens and through a different timeline, so to speak. Um, and so for me, it was worth it. And I just couldn't wait to get back in and play more of it. And that's kind of how it's been for some of these RPGs that I get into and that I beat. Although I will say for like Dragon Quest Nine. When I 
beat that one, it was more of like, okay, I, I, I've got to be close to the end or close to some kind of place where I can roll credits. I, I feel it building. I just need to go ahead and finish it. Um, not that it was a bad game, like I mentioned before, it just kind of lacked a little bit compared to Dragon Quest Eleven. Yeah, it's, it seems like you really prefer uh, a story-focused, character-driven game to the more choose-your-own uh, adventure-style game, kind of. Well, when it's set in a like an RPG, like you know Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest, I want the people that are in my party, I want them to be meaningful. Now, if I'm playing something like Assassin's Creed or another open-world game like a, you know Breath of the Wild... I, I don't need, and I don't have companions, I don't care. I'm the main person. I have interactions with the other characters, but I'm not depending on them. So what about like uh, like a Skyrim or a Fallout-style game? I, I've never... I just think my thing for Dragon Quest Nine is that you've got these characters, and you can choose you know, who they are, and I, I get overwhelmed, like maybe I didn't make the right choice for them. Maybe, I, you know, they're not the right... You know, job class. Maybe I should have a different lineup. And then when it's like Dragon Quest Eleven, okay, this person is a very particular class. And it's just a matter of, okay, which four people do you want to be in your lineup at any one time? And you can switch them out. And that was great because I would develop one a certain way. And the things they learned, they stayed learned. But that's a, that's a huge digression there. So I think we both have uh, RPGs dominating our backlog along with some open world gaming stuff. Uh, and finally from Hungry Pup, uh, he asks, what is your favorite special move? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I know exactly what he, he's going for, but I'm going to lean back into the RPG genre. I'm going to specifically pick Breath of Fire 3. And I love I love that um, the main character has the ability to uh, to to fuse um, dragon genes to create different unique dragons, and I consider that a special move, uh, the ability to turn into a dragon. So we'll, we'll go with that instead of going for what I feel is the obvious, which is like a like a fighting game move. So mine is kind of a combination. And it is with a Final Fantasy VI character, Sabin. And the, this is the first thing that came to my mind, is that, you know, if you've ever played Final Fantasy VI, you know, Sabin is one of the first characters that you come across, and he learns special attacks that you can do. And it's not just you select the special attack, and then he performs it. It's, there's a controller and a button combination to press to do these moves and they're very much based off of Street Fighter 2 moves and I just remember one that he did uh, is a, I think his moves were called blitzes or maybe this particular move was called a blitz and he would just throw out these you know spinning white blades like whirlwinds that would hit you know just a random group of enemies and that was always my favorite move that was my go to move and he was almost always you know one of the main guys in my party so that's my favorite special move. Uh, second to that would be Scorpion. Uh, get over here. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how many times I say that to my kids. 
get over here. I'm like, Dad, why are you why are you talking like that? And my wife's like, Oh, I know. <laughs> you know, I just need my wife to say, finish him. I'm I'm trying to, but they won't get over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there there was a time back in the day when my wife and I would play Mortal Kombat 2 on the Super Nintendo. Those were the days. Good times. Yep, but uh, Dr. Mario 64 broke my wife, so we don't do that anymore. We reached the pinnacle with the N64 and and just had to to stop because it couldn't get better. I understand. I, I, I want Dr. Mario 64. I want that game on a console that I can play just for the fact that I love Dr. Mario 64 and I like that there was a story mode to it and that you could do four player Dr. Mario. But, oh well. Well, now, you got the, now you've got the Dr. Mario mobile game. I, I, I don't know how that works, but I, that's I a don't thing. know. I'm not going to do that because uh, I don't believe in that. I, I No. That's, that's a big... It's a big negatory for me. My wife plays it or played it, and I don't remember her being super impressed with it. So, but you know, they didn't forget about Doctor Mario, so that that's a plus. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I I don't really care much for playing mobile games. But that, that you know that's that, that's just my thing. So on on that topic, uh, real quick, I want to tell you about the f- the first uh, the first mobile game that that really really grabbed me. Um, you know, what, what what do you think it might be? Uh, Plants vs Zombies. It's a good guess. It was actually the la- our, well, the Walking Dead uh, season one was I played it on my tablet, and that was the the best way to play it. Uh, I firmly believe because the the touch screen made it so much more interactive, and I know that it had a lot of success on consoles too. But it was it was really good on the iPad when it first came out. Another good well, there is one mobile game that they, I guess that they have now ported to the Switch along with a lot of the other games by this developer uh, is Game Dev Story or Game Developer Story by Kairosoft. Um. I played the demo of it and I was like, you know what? I need to spend the five bucks to buy this game. So it's a fun little game. If you guys out there have never played it, try the demo. You basically, you, you control a game development studio and you raise funds and you research games or not research, but you develop games and you sell them. And you can even at one point develop your own console and, you know, as you develop games, you choose the genre, you choose the, you know, the, the category, and you have to have like a good combination of the two so that it can sell well and get reviewed well. Go to trade shows. It's a lot of, lot of fun. Sounds complicated. It is not at all. You, once, you, once you get into it and you start, you know, you, you hire people. So like when you go through the, game development process you work on different aspects of it the sound the artwork and then you know debugging 
and you can hire people that are on your staff. You can hire outside people based on how much money you have because the really good ones are really expensive. You can train up the people that you have. You can hire more people. Um, it sounds complicated, but once you get into the flow of it, it's a, it's a, it's a really fun game. Um, but I digress. I digress. All right. So I'd like to thank everybody who has stuck around this long. Um, appreciate you guys listening in, tuning in, uh, asking your questions. Um, really do appreciate you guys out there. So, Mike, where can everybody find you? I usually hang out on Twitter. You can find me at BlazeKnight0923. All right. And uh, you can find me on most of the social media platforms, uh, YouTube and Twitter at Mathman1024. You can find Grouchy at Grouchy. That's G-R-R-O-U-C-H-I-E. Um, the people that couldn't be here with us, Jeremy, you can find him at Trash Turkey. And Patrick, you can find him at Backlog Odyssey. So, I guess until uh, next time, keep working on those backlogs. Uh, you can check out backlogbusters.ninja to see the um, Backlog Buster bingo card and uh, get to work on it because uh, those games aren't going to play themselves. Am I right? Yes. <laughs>